were to ask you at this point to individually to come up here and to spend maybe the next 10 minutes leading us and all of God's people in a time of prayer, just you individually, personally, off the cuff, raise your hand, and in all honesty, raise your hand if that would make you tremendously nervous. Keep them up, keep them high. Now, if you have your hand raised, I want to invite you to look around. Take a good look. One of the most interesting aspects of the Christian life is prayer. And one of the weird things is that almost every one of us as Christians, when we think about prayer, we instantly get a certain degree of nervous and terrified. Because the reality is we all think that we're bad at prayer. Raise your hand if you think you're bad at praying. <laughs> Both personally and, you know, in public and whatever. And so for many of us, you may think that, you know, maybe you've been in a Bible study and, you know, the, the terrifying thing happens that happens once in a while when you're in Christian groups is, you know, let's, we're going to spend some time in prayer. I'll open. Anyone who wants to pray, pray. And then so-and-so will close. Right? The opener opens and then you start to think. You're, there's like seven of you in the room. And the first praise, and the second praise, and the third, and you start to realize, oh man, I might be the only one left. I better say something. What am I going to say? What am I going to say? No, I can't pray that. That's weird. Right? Ever, you ever been in that situation? One of, one of the things that's helpful, first of all, is to understand that if that is you, you are not alone. That's why I had you look around. Hands were raised all over. I'm going to guess that probably about two-thirds of the hands in this room, at the very least, went up when I asked that question. And so one of the first things that we need to understand when we talk about prayer is that that is not a unique thing to you. You are not the weird, immature Christian in the room who everybody else is judging when you don't pray well. That's the first step. Maybe we're skipping to the application parts three weeks from now. But it's, it's important to understand that prayer is an unbelievably easy but yet unbelievably complicated thing in the life of God's church. And if you're anything like me, if you've grown up at least from your high school days on in the church, I've spent sermon after sermon hearing somebody get up here and preach about the importance of prayer. We all know that we should be praying, right, all the time. But we don't. And part of it is because as much as we are compelled to pray and convicted to pray, there's very few times where we actually talk about what it looks like. What is prayer? What, what, what does it look like to pray? Right? I remember in, if you look in scripture, the disciples literally at one point asked Jesus, teach us how to pray. We get that it's important. Would you maybe tell us how on earth we're supposed to do it so that we can do this thing that we're supposed to be doing? Right? And so for the next three weeks, we're going to spend some time looking at this idea of prayer. We're inviting you for 21 days to pray for this church, to pray for its people, to pray for its leaders, to pray that the Lord would do a mighty thing in this place, that he would move us in new directions that we need to go in, that we might be faithful and the creativity of the Spirit would abound. And so as we're asking you to do that, I thought it would be good if we spend three weeks on prayer. Now, a couple things to note. This is a Barna study that was done uh, all the way back in 2017. And it gives you a percentage poll of people and when and how they're willing to pray. And so about 82% of people pray silently by themselves on some kind of regular basis. Only about 13% pray audibly by themselves. Maybe that's you. Maybe you sit at home and you pray out loud. And only about 2% are comfortable or pray regularly with people in a group. And 2% pray collectively in a church. So if your hand was up, 
you're in good company. Right? Most people are like you. <laughs> Hopefully that's an encouragement to you. I really do hope so. Because one of the first steps is that we need to understand that we're not alone. And then together we might be able to move forward. So when you get up and you pray and you step out in boldness, understand that everyone in the room is not thinking, oh, that's not very eloquent. Everybody in the room is thinking, thank the Lord, it's not me. <laughs> right? They're with you. <laughs> they're not against you. They're with you. And they're just happy that you spoke up and they don't have to. <laughs> if we can understand that, we can go forward in a way. And so we know from a chart like this that our, the prayer lives of people, of Christians, in general, statistically, is pretty poor but we also know that we are called by Scripture to be people of prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5 tells us that we are to pray without ceasing. We're never to stop. I don't know about you. I have to stop at least every once in a while to yell at my toddler. Maybe I could yell in prayer. Lord, stop him. That might be a way to pray without ceasing. But I haven't come up with a way to do that yet. But importance of prayer is undeniable as we engage the scripture. It's something that we're supposed to do, but we're not doing. And so for the next three weeks, we're going to look at it. And we're going to break it up into three very easy, digestible types of overview chunks. The first week today, we're going to look at what prayer is. What is the essence of prayer? Right? What does it actually mean to pray? Where does prayer come from? When we say you should pray, what does that even mean? What is prayer? And, and then next week, we're going to look at what we call the posture of prayer. That is the, for, for us to become people that pray and pray well and, and, and do this thing that God is calling us to do, what is the thing we have to set ourselves up for? Like, if you want to be a good soccer player, what is the training regimen that I have to go through? What gets me to the point where when I step on the field, I'm ready to go and prepared and have the right posture? And then the third and the last week, we're going to get super practical and we're just going to look at the practice itself. How are we actually to pray? So essence, posture, practice. Three weeks and we will have Stowe Presby expert prayers. Deal? All right, beautiful. So perhaps this whole thing is a dumb question because if I ask you what is prayer, most of you would have some kind of a good answer. The number one answer we get is prayer is talking to God, right? It shouldn't be this hard thing. How are we going to spend 20 minutes, 30 minutes talking about what prayer is? I know what it is. I just don't know how to do it. Well, do you really know what prayer is? It's talking to God, but talking how? Talking to what God? When we talk, does he talk back? If he's supposed to talk back, well, what if I've been praying for the last 10 years and I never heard him talk to me? Am I doing it wrong? Is that what prayer actually is supposed to be like? When I pray, what should I pray about? Well, if God already knows everything, well, why then pray in the first place? He already knows all these things. It seems redundant, right? It's like when my two-year-old looks at the train table in our, in our room, in his room, and says, train? Yeah, I know it's a train. Right? So should we bother? Why do we pray? The Lord knows your troubles. Everything you ask for and praise the Lord for, he knows that you're grateful for, and he knows that you need it. So what's the point? Right? If, you, if you stop and pause, prayer actually is a lot more complicated than we think. Right? It's not as simple as, well, it's talking to God and him talking back. What does that all mean? It's a difficult thing. And so we have to look at prayer, and we're going to do it in kind of a funnel way today. We're going to look at the most broad definitions of prayer, and then we're going to focus in more and more and more. And with the broad definition, we start with what John Calvin calls the idea of divinitatis sensum. Get the fancy Latin out today. 
It's this idea that, that John Calvin had that we as people are designed to pray. Here's, here's the word, some words from Romans. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law unto themselves even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness. Their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. So this whole idea is that the Gentiles, the people who are not the people of God, they are acting in certain times in moral ways. Like they're behaving lawfully even though they are not part of God's people and they don't have the law of God. And so what Paul is saying is we have projected into our createdness, the people that we're made to be, like God has infused a sense of law, of right and wrong, of good and bad into us. That's why people that aren't Christians can act in moral ways. As a matter of fact, many of you probably know people that aren't Christians who act more moral than those who are. We call that hypocrisy. But really what it is, is those people have the common grace of God. The law, this innate understanding of what is good and not good, is ingrained in us as people. That's why people that don't follow the Lord think murder is bad. Right? Otherwise they wouldn't. That's why we have secular organizations that seek to serve people in the world and provide for their needs. Why else? Other than if they somehow have the innate goodness of God. And so Calvin argues that prayer... Is, is in some sense the same way. Every one of us, this is what he says, there is within the human mind and indeed by natural instinct an awareness of divinity. The seed of religion is planted in all people. That's in his institutes in chapter one. Right, so the idea is that according to Calvin, every one of us has ingrained in us this understanding that there's something bigger than ourselves, that there's a divine plane bigger than us. And this idea of prayer is baked in as well. That's why we have... World, oh, sorry, world religions all across the planet, and, and almost all of them, with very few exceptions, have some level of prayer and meditation included, right? Christians aren't the only people who pray, right? People of Islam pray, people of the Jewish faith pray, right? or meditate, right? Sometimes they don't call it prayer, but it's meditation, Right, so we all have this instinctive thing. Prayer is just part of the nature of who we're built to be. You will pray to something. And as a matter of fact, in 2012, Pew Research did a study, and they found that about 30% of professing atheists admitted to the fact that they pray at some points. And about 17% of people who just said they didn't have any faith or beliefs admitted that they pray regularly. How many of you have experienced this? You have friends who aren't Christians, but when something happens in their house, they ask you to pray for them. <laughs> or when you say, can I pray for you? They say, please. Please pray to this thing in the sky that I don't believe exists. Why? Because it's built into us. And so prayer is something that we are naturally prone towards, that we naturally do. It's this universal thing, and we're built for it. So that's the very, the broadest definition, the broadest idea of prayer, is that it's just, we, we have this desire, the, the knowledge that there's something greater than ourselves out there, and, and we want to communicate with it. We want to we be a part of it, we want to understand it, we want to petition towards it, we want to ask whatever that greater plane being is for help. Right? That's why your non-Christian friends pray, or ask you to pray for them. 
Because they know deep down there's something. It's not just all there is right here. There's something more, right? And so that's just prayer in general. Christian prayer is more specific, right? How? Why? In Christian prayer, we nail down exactly who we pray to. And where do we find out who we pray to? Where we say, well, I pray to God. Who is God? What's he like? Right? The difference of the Christian understanding of prayer is that we pray to a God who we understand and who we know. And the reason we know and understand who God is is because we have his word. Right? We talk about all the time in prayer. Prayer is asking and talking and listening. Right? How many of you, to be entirely honest, in the midst of your prayer life, have never heard God directly speak back to you. Like you're like, dear Lord, do you hear me? And yet he didn't say yes. If you've never actually heard him speak, raise your hand. A lot of us, right? Say, so well, God doesn't talk back. Am I doing it wrong? Well, the Lord speaks clearly to us. The Lord speaks to us through his word. Think about this. All of the world religions, we ha they have their own texts of various kinds, <clears throat> but we believe that the scriptures that we have are the revealed word of God. And so we don't pray to some empty, formless, voidless being in the sky or some God that we made up of human imagery. We, we pray to a God who we know with an unbelievable amount of depth. And as a matter of fact, not only do we know God and his character and his nature, but we actually know what our relationship to him is. Right? One of the sad realities to me of the, of the Islam faith is that there is such an arbitrary nature to the response of prayer. Like, there's no rules to it. Right? Allah will do what he does. <clears throat> like They pray and hope that there might be some kind of response, that he might bring them in, that he might accept them, that he might not be angry at them. When we talk about the Christian God, when we pray, we know what our relationship status in relation to God is. We know that as people who have come under Christ, who accept him as our Lord and Savior, that God calls us his children. So we are praying to somebody who we see relationally as a father. And the types of things we ask and the way that we plead to him and the way that we praise him and acknowledge him changes and gets more concrete when we understand who God is. And so if you're wondering, why is my prayer life so stagnant? One of the things, and we'll get to this in a couple weeks in some depth, maybe start reading the word more before you pray or in the midst of your prayer. The Lord speaks to us plenty. The question is, are we willing to listen? It's like when you're sitting there at night and you're watching TV and your spouse has been talking to you for three minutes, but you didn't catch it because you're watching something, and you go, huh? She's talking. You're just not listening. Right? The Lord speaks to us constantly. He tells us who he is. He tells us what he wants from us. He tells us where he wants us to go. He tells us how we are to live. He tells us who he is and who we are and how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. He tells us. Are we willing to listen? And so when we talk about prayer in a Christian sense, the huge difference is in the relationship that we have. It's not like we're talking to an acquaintance, right? The conversations that I have with the people I vaguely know, right? I've met a couple of pastors in town over the past two years that I've, been, that I've been around. And, you know, you get together and you have these casual conversations. Those are nothing like the conversations I have with my wife at home. Why? Because she knows me. We have a relationship that goes beyond just the casual, I know your name and what church you're a part of. 
right? We share things. We get deep together in, in conversation about life and the truth, and she knows me more than anything. Think about it. When we talk to God, he knows everything about you. He knows the things that you have not desired to share with even those closest to you in your families. He knows your heart. He knows your motivation. He can call your BS when he hears it. And he still wants to hear from us. He wants you to talk to him. He wants you to understand and, and, and listen and tell him of your troubles. He wants you to be heard. And he wants to speak back. And he wants to walk with you. And he wants to guide you. It's the beauty of what prayer looks like when we talk to God specifically. There is a depth. It is not this vague petition of, oh, please help me you know, make more money at work. No, we're talking to somebody we know. It's so different. Three, prayer is about having communion with God. <clears throat> Here's a, an excerpt from one of the prayers of David. It's in Psalm 27. It says, One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, <clears throat> to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. The Lord calls us to pray because it's his way of being with us of communing together. So one of the reasons that we pray, one of the purposes, one of the things that prayer is, is actually communion with God. After the sermon, we're going to celebrate a, a different type of communion with God, a, a sacramental communion that he has given us because he, he wants us to understand and be close and feel his presence. And so he gives us this means of grace in, in, in the cup and in the bread that allows us to, to be with him, to commune with him in some mysterious way that we don't fully understand. But prayer is one of the things that God asks of us and why he wants us to pray is because he wants us to have communion with him. Do you realize that prayer is actually a mechanism of the fall? We don't know this for sure. I highly doubt that Adam and Eve prayed in the garden. Why? Because Adam and Eve walked with God. They didn't have to get on their knees and, and just and close their eyes and, and, and find some way of, of grasping the presence of God. They just walked up to him like we walk up to our family members in our house and just talked. When they rebelled against him and the sin entered the world and the fall occurred and they were banished from the garden, what happened is we were, as humanity, moved away from the presence of God because we cannot, as imperfect people, be in the presence of a perfect God. He cannot bear it, and we would die if we laid our eyes fully upon him. And so prayer is this bridge that comes as a result. Someday we will be with God, we will dwell with him, and we won't have to pray. We will just say, hey, can I ask you something? None of us have to worry about being bad at prayer ever again. Praise the Lord. Right? We pray so that we can find communion with him. Because in the midst of a sinful world where the kingdom is not yet fully realized, we don't yet have the fullness of his presence. And so prayer is designed to bridge that gap, to bring us into the presence of God. J.I. Packer says it like this. Prayer leads to knowing God, not just knowing about God. That's the difference. When we read the scripture as someone who is not regenerated, who doesn't have the spirit of Christ dwelling in us, and we just look through, right, we might know things about God factually. There's a really great scene uh, in, in a movie called Goodwill Hunting, if you've seen it, 
Uh, it's, it's a little bit past the PG scale, but um, there's a scene, you know, the short of it is that you know, Robin Williams' character is counseling this troubled student, uh, Matt Damon, and they're sitting on a bench and he's been giving him attitude and he's a genius, he's super smart. He's like read every book and can quote everything from memory, he's got a photographic, you know. But he's a smart aleck and he sits him down and he says, you know, one of the things that you need to understand is that, you know, you, you know things, but you don't know things. You might have read every book on art, but have you ever stood underneath the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel and experienced what, what that's like, right? You might have read every sonnet about love, but have you ever actually had the experience of being vulnerable with another person? Prayer is how we move from knowing about God to actually knowing him. To experience, to move from that idea of just absorbing information, from going to Bible studies, from knowing everything about the themes of the book of Romans and all the I am sayings of John, and maybe you even understand the book of Leviticus. If you do, come help me. <laughs> but that's not knowing God. That makes you a great Bible Jeopardy candidate. Prayer life is how we start to experience what we know about him. And so we read that God is good and gracious and full of mercy. But as we pray, we experience his goodness and his graciousness and his mercy. It's a mystery how this happens, but it's how God wants it to happen. For prayer in its deepest sense, and this is the, the kind of the, the fullness of, of what prayer is, at its very deepest core, prayer moves us into what we call an obedient unity with God. Right, two, two examples to look at. Number one, it is the prayer of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Let's take a look at it. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. His sweet, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. You see what's happening in the midst of that prayer. Jesus is starting out in an agonizing fashion saying, Look, I don't, I don't want to do this thing. Right? The, the full humanity comes out of Jesus in his human and divine nature coming together. That he, he experiences this idea that he knows the death is coming. He knows the torment is coming. And he doesn't want to do it. And so he cries out to God, please take this from me. Don't make me do this. I don't want to do this thing. I don't want to suffer. I don't want to struggle. It's going to be painful. And then there's a pause and he stops and he says, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. <clears throat> you see what's happening? In the midst of prayer, Jesus is shaped into an obedience of God. In the midst of his prayer, he moves from, I don't want to live this way or do this thing or give this up towards, I will be obedient to you. At the very culmination of our prayer lives, when we practice the presence of God and we engage with him regularly and we discipline ourselves to do it, what happens in prayer is that we start to become more and more shaped into his likeness. The things that we hold on to, the things that we rebel against, the ways that we don't want to accept what God calls us to do, they start to melt away in the midst of a life of prayer because as we experience, like it said earlier, this, this this presence of God, this communion with him, naturally the ways of this world start to fall away. Right? The second thing I want to look at is from the book of Job. Job is interesting. So the story of Job 
Um, my, my friend <laughs> who I had in seminary calls it, I'm not going to say it, but what the, for 40 some chapters. <laughs> he, Job is interesting. So, you know, if you don't know the story of Job, Job has all that he could possibly want. And then as, as the beginning of the book unfolds, all is taken away from him. He loses his, his livelihood. He loses his possessions. He loses everything. He even loses his children. Right? Like everything is lost. Everything. And so the book of Job is really about a man who has lost it all, who is wrestling with God, and he starts to accuse him, and then he has these friends that come, and they are not helpful. But, but in the culmination of it, as we get towards the end, one of the things that finally happens is, in the midst of his anger, in the midst of his, God, where were you? How dare you do this to me? What, what would you even mean with this? There couldn't possibly be a purpose. Eventually, the Lord starts to speak to him out of the whirlwind, and he humbles him down. And he says essentially this, hey, Job, um, where were you when I made the mountains? Like, where were you? When I was making this one, were you making that one over? No, you weren't. Why? Because I'm God and you're not. Just because you don't know why you're suffering doesn't mean there's no purpose. Just because you can't explain it doesn't mean I, the creator of the universe, can't explain it. You want to go, Job? Come at me. What do you have to offer? And the result is this prayer. And then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear and I will speak. I will question you and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. In the midst of, of Job's prayer, of his wrestling with God, of his conversating, he comes to understand the greatness of the Lord. And even in the midst of so much pain and so much suffering, he eventually concedes and says, you know what, God, you, you do know what you're doing. So I'll trust you. Prayer ultimately, ultimately is designed to bring us into a closer communion with God that then leads towards obedience. He moves from anguish to awe and from anger to obedience. And so when we pray, in the end, we do not just talk to God. We experience God. And that's what prayer is in the Christian life. Tim Keller has a great summary definition. And by the way, if you want to read more about prayer, if this is something you really want to explore, I would recommend his book. It's called Prayer. So it's really easy to remember. Prayer by Tim Keller. But he says this, prayer is conversation that becomes encounter. And I would amend that a great definition just a little bit. And I would say, prayer is conversation that becomes encounter that becomes transformation. When we discipline ourselves to get on our knees and to spend time in the word and in prayer with the Lord, when we talk to him, when we bring our things to him, when we get over the awkwardness, when we sit there and we go, I don't know what to say, but here I am. And we do that disciplined over and over and over again, slowly and steadfastly. You will notice that the Lord will begin to work. He will begin to shape you. He will begin to, to change you. He will begin to mold you. You will begin to feel the comforting presence. But we have to start and we have to get into it. 
We have to. The Lord wants us to be in prayer. In the book of Exodus, in chapter 30, you know, Moses is, is coming down, and what happened is while Moses was gone, the people started to worship every which way, and they started, you know, the golden calf thing came about, and, and there's this anger of the Lord that boils, and the Lord wants to destroy his people. And so Moses gets on his knees, and he prays and intercedes on behalf of everybody, and the Lord relents. And there's an unbelievable amount of debate with this passage. A lot of people will argue, based on this, that God changes his mind. The unchanging God of the universe, who knows all things, was going to do one thing, and then Moses interceded, and he changed his mind. And that's a bad understanding of that passage. The Lord never changed his mind. The Lord knew that he wasn't going to destroy his people in that moment, that he wasn't going to punish them in that moment. Number one, eventually they do get punished, right? We have the exiles and they're taken by the Assyrians and, and you know, there's a delay in entering the promised land. There's punishment throughout the Old Testament. The Lord does punish his people. But what, what he wanted was the people to come to him. And Moses, on behalf of the people, comes and intercedes. And so he relents. The Lord knew what he was doing. He wants us to be a part of it. He wants us to be active. Just like I talked about a few weeks ago when we look at the Christian life, right? The Lord could just right now in one shattering thunder call every person on earth who he wants to call to himself. He could appear in their houses with a great cloud of smoke and he could say, you are now mine, you will follow me, and they wouldn't be able to resist. But That's not how he chooses to do it. How does the Lord call people to himself? He uses us as his people. He wants us to be involved in a process it's like when you're teaching your little kid to clean the house or to take out the trash or to do yard work. You know it takes 10 times longer if they're helping. But why do you do it? You teach them to be a part of it so that they grow up as mature people who actually know how to do laundry someday. Right? The Lord wants us to be a part of the outworking of his kingdom. He wants us to know him. He wants us to work alongside of him. And prayer is the same thing. Yes, the things that he wants to come to pass are going to come to pass, right? Yes, the person who we know in our lives who need healing, if the Lord wants to heal them, he will heal them whether you pray or not. But he wants you to be praying. He wants you to be an active participant in the restoration and the rejuvenation of the creation that he has. And prayer is a part of that. So what is prayer? It's a conversation that becomes an encounter it becomes transformative in the lives of the people that do it. Right. Next week, we're going to look at the posture of prayer and what it means. What are the things that we do that put us in a position where, where we can become effective prayers? What are the attitudes that we need to have? What are the demeanors that we need to have? What are the, the life changes that we need to make? What are those things that set us up so that when we go to pray, we are in a position of of success, all right? And then a week from then, we'll get, it'll be the most practical sermon you've ever heard. How do we actually pray? And spoiler alert, scripture teaches us in a whole bunch of places how we are to pray. And so speaking of that, let's pray now. Lord, we, we thank you. As we look at the various religions that this world has created, uh, we see prayer in all corners that looks differently depending on where we go, but there's this vagueness, and we praise you in the midst of that, that when we pray, as you call us to, that we might know you. We thank you that as we even today sit here and pray at the end of a sermon, that we know that you hear us, that we know that you want to hear from us, 
that we know that you love us, that you call us your children, and that we can pray and bring petitions to you knowing that you want what is best for us. That you're not just a God of casual wrath that occasionally takes his anger out on his people, but that you are a God of justice and of goodness and of mercy. That your anger is righteous and measured. And so we thank you that we can commune with you. That you are not just the God who set the world in motion and just lets it spin, but that you are involved and active and working in the lives of your people. And Lord, we ask that over the next few weeks, that as we might practice the presence of God as we pray together and in our own homes, that we might become a people that pray more fervently. Help us. Give us your spirit of truth. Give us your understanding. Lord, as we maybe even today go home and get on our knees and try to feebly figure out what this prayer life looks like, we ask that as we stumble at first that you would guide us. I pray for each and every person here that as they seek to, to grow in their prayer life this week that you would come and meet them where they are. That you would allow them to feel your presence and your communion. <clears throat> that they would know you. That they would commune with you and that in turn they might be transformed by you. Be with us this week as we go out as your people. Give us strength, give us creativity, give us boldness, give us the things that we need to be the church of Acts 1-8 that is gathered and then scattered into the communities that we find ourselves in. And be with us this morning as we partake of this meal. We love you and praise you. And all his people said, amen.